0: After around 430 years of slavery, Israelites got to know their God as the deliverer, then as their protector, and then last week we saw that they rediscovered God as their provider. The journey has just begun. Now when Moses went and talked to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go, and Pharaoh kept asking, where? Where do you want to go? And Moses didn't have an answer. Um, And then when he come back to the Hebrew camp and he's talking to his own people about let us go, let us go, and they are asking, where? And Moses did not really have an answer. And they had all the ministry council. They wanted Moses to come with the strategic vision and the ministry goals for the next year so that we can get it passed before we start. And all these things, and it was all genuine request. And Moses didn't know what to say. All he knows is, let my people go. Then Moses realized there is one place, there is one place, because in the burning bush episode, when God was speaking to Moses, There was this small thing God slipped in. You know, God said, when you deliver the people, you will come back and you will offer sacrifices to me on this mountain. So Moses knew there is one spot I know. There is one location I know where God wants us to go. Even though we are called to the journey of following the cloud, somehow I got That location. I just want to give people some location. So Moses said, I know there's this mountain, and I know God wanted us to offer sacrifices there, so we are going to go there. Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, whichever way you want to, because it's the same mountain. And uh, so that was the location Moses could strategically give to the committee or to to all the people and all to to Pharaoh too, right? That's why, if you remember, Moses kept repeating that let us go on a three-day journey and worship the Lord. That's all Moses knew at the time. Moses didn't really have a full picture of the promised land and all that, but he knew there was one location there is one location almost three days journey from here we want to go there so they finally reached Mount Horeb on the mountain of God Mount Sinai right and that's where given the greatest document or the ethical document of all time the Ten Commandments the foundation of Western civilization we would say or many other civilization the greatest of all. Ten commandments. And we are going to read ten commandments today. And God just did not give just ten commandments. There were actually 613 commandments that follows if you read all the way to Deuteronomy. And Jewish people, their scribes have done meticulous work on it and they divided all these commandments into 613 mitzvots uh, or their commandments you know their word and then they follow that meticulously 613 of them but these 10 commandments are 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 like the like the preamble right like you know it's almost like the beatitudes for the sermon on the mount right we we were Uh, doing a series on Beatitudes, it is part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it is the preamble. In In some way, it encapsulates the whole Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, the Ten Commandments in some way encapsulates the whole of Torah or the Testament or the commandments and the rest of the commandments God gave. So today, we are going to read the whole Ten Commandments And then we are going to read another verse from New Testament, where Jesus summarized this Ten Commandments into two Commandments, which we call Greatest uh, Commandments. And so we are going to read both of this, and I thought, oh my goodness, one is the voice of God and the other one is voice of Jesus. I don't want to mess this up, okay? (laughs) So I, I reached out to a very dear friend of mine, Phil Crowley, as some of you he asked me not to prop him up, but I have to say it. He is the, he is the voice of the Shark Tank, you know, the, one of my favorite shows on television. He is the voice. Whenever they see the narration, that's Phil Crowley, okay? So I reached out to him. This is a professional job. I don't want to mess it up with my diction, and I know it's not perfect, and this is Ten Commandments. So, uh, so Phil, would you come and lead us in reading the scripture? Thank you. <laughs>
1: Please stand for the reading of God's word. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And now from Mark 12, 28 through thirty-one. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Thank you, Phil. That is as close to the voice of God as we can get here at Lake Avenue (laughs) Church, (laughs) so. Exodus 25, one of the part in the Ten Commandments that stuck out to me like a sore thumb You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord our God, am a jealous God. And in Exodus 34, 14, the Ten Commandments kind of summarized in another way, and there it says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. And some of you know that Joanna and I had an arranged marriage, uh, which means that we didn't get to date like normal people do. Uh, But in our case, we had this privilege of doing some telephone dating. We were allowed to talk to each other over, over the phone before our marriage, which is considered very controversial back in the days in, in, in the country I'm coming from. Um, so we would just call each other and talk about just normal stuff, mundane stuff, and you know, so that was kind of a way to get to know each other. And one day, Joanne told me the story, well, I was standing at the bus stop today and uh, looking for the bus, bus station, and uh, there's this guy pulled over in a luxury car and offered me a ride, and I took it, and he, uh, he, dropped me, he drove me all the way to my house, and we talked a lot, and so uh, dro- dropped me at home. Um, so I said, oh, that's really cool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> The next day I got a call from my mother-in-law, would-be mother-in-law at the time, who was kind of our relationship coach, by the way. <laughs> so, so she said, hey, did she talk to you about it? Because she's kind of watching this, you know, she she, 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 she knows what we are talking about. You know, this is kind of a supervised telephone date, right? So she was kind of advising me because when the marriage proposal came, you know, they, they would ask whether you want to marry the person or not. So they asked me, would you like to marry Joanne? I said, yes. And, sh- and they asked Joanne, would you like to marry him? She said, no. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my mother-in-law was very particular that she will eventually get to like me before marriage. <laughs> so, so she was very particular. So she said, you know, when women take, talk to you about some of the stuff, right? You should be a little jealous. When a guy pulls over and drove her, in, in, drove her to her home, it drove her home in, in, the, in a luxury car, what did you say? I said, Oh, oh my goodness, I thought that's a great guy. I, I would buy him a coffee. He was, I mean, that's the way I think men think. I don't know. That's the way I thought. That's a nice guy. <laughs> He he gave my fiance a ride, right? That's the way I'm thinking. And in all fairness, Joanne didn't say that. It was from my relationship coach who said that I should have been a little more jealous in that situation because that's the measure of my passion for my fiance at the time. Now, you know where I'm going with this. See, jealousy is a word we often use it in different circumstances, right? Jealousy in itself is a bad quality, the way we understand that in our English and in the language and in our context. But there is a jealousy that comes out of envy, but jealousy that comes out of passion, our love for other person. And that kind of makes sense. Now I have learned my lesson about what jealousy means and I have to be a little jealous in my passionate relationship with my spouse, right? Now having said that, if I happen to hear that any of you gave Joanne a ride, I am going to find you, okay? (laughs) I am... So... So... See, jealousy <laughs> see jealousy that comes out of not out of our ego but a passion for another person is a Morally powerful dynamic force as long as it is kept within the extreme. And I don't really think the, that is the actual translation for that word. I would translate it more like a zealous, you know, being a zealous God and passionate God. And I don't know exactly, Dr. Jeff Leo, who's way smarter than I am, actually is offering a course on the ancient language, the original biblical languages, and how we can learn it. I believe it is starting from today, and in which church you can get a class like this? My goodness, I've been in many churches in many countries, and they're starting today, there's a class on how to read the Bible in original language by Dr. Jeff Leo, and I strongly recommend that you take that class, and I'm trying to get him to preach one day. Uh, so, you know, so, so this, these are very useful resources. Going back to, the word jealousy cannot be just you know, we, we cannot just attribute that particular word to the particular meaning that we know. There is another verse in the Bible where, uh, where uh, Paul says this, Second Corinthians 11, 2, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So now here says the believers of Corinth... And they have been given many spiritual gifts, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all that. But on the other side, they have this problem. They easily are swayed from their faith by smooth-talking preachers of their time. And, And Paul says, then I'm jealous on behalf of God that you are going to fall away from this committed relationship to which I am betrothed to you with Christ, so I am jealous on behalf of God. So that is what we call, a, and Paul says, a godly jealousy, right? It is quite common in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, we, what we call an anthropomorphic portrayal of God. God's emotions and God's feelings are portrayed in a human language. That's a, that's a style of communication. You cannot just literally interpret and uh, come with our own conclusion. Now, this is the sermon is not about that. But I want you to understand that the Lord God, when he gives the Ten Commandments, he is not giving you the, this commandment as some kind of a tyrannical dictator who is trying to control your life. That is not what the commandments is all about. And interestingly enough, the commandments don't even say that you should worship me. It says that don't worship this other gods. So God is not egocentric. God is not sitting up at the throne and enjoy. Come, worship me, worship me, let me enjoy. That's our understanding of God. No, the Ten Commandments, you know, that's not how it is written. Do not worship other gods. It is like I'm telling my daughter, okay, if you don't call me daddy, that's fine that's fine but don't call somebody else daddy now that's a whole different thing right so that's the way the ten commandments start do not worship other gods what i'm saying is the worshiping god is where the whole thing starts the first commandments in a way the first commandment in a way kind of controls the flow of the rest of the commandment and funny enough, you cannot just go to the Ten Commandments and, okay, let me pick a commandment. Let me break it just for the fun of it. You cannot just break one commandment. You have to break a minimum of two commandments. Say, for example, I'm going to start stealing for the, for the, just for fun, right? I'm going to break that commandment. Do not steal. I'm going to break that commandment. But the moment I am breaking that commandment, I already broke the first commandment. Because the first commandment is do not worship other God and you, I am stealing because I consider money as something more important than God. And by virtue of breaking any of the commandment, you have already broken the first commandment because first commandment set the tone of it, the framework for the rest of the commandments. Worshipping God, the passionate love of God is the central aspect of that commandment. If you break the first commandment, you will automatically break all the rest of the nine. It is only a matter of time. So the first commandment is so important, that kind of, that kind of gives us the lens to look at the rest of the commandments, the wor- worshiping God, being in a passionate relationship with God. See, we, have, we tend to assume that God of the Old Testament is somehow very rough and tough and, uh, you know, vengeful God and all that kind of stuff. But God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And he really wants to enter into a passionate relationship with you, and he loves you with a jealous love. And even the commandments are given not to constrain you, not to restrain you. Not to be a dictator and to control your life. No, that's, that's not the purpose of the commandments at all. The purpose of the commandment is for us to have a, a, a fruitful, meaningful life, to enjoy our life. It's not for God's sake the commandments uh, are given. It is for our sake too. You know, it is, it is like, a, imagine a, a group of boys are just playing catch with basketball. And then another man walks in and said, don't just play catch. I'm going to put two baskets in here. Okay, put the ball into the basket or put it into the hoop. And then you will get a score, right? And then the boy said, no, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? We have, we should have the freedom to, uh, to throw the ball anywhere. And we should have the freedom to catch it any time. And don't try to restrain our freedom by putting two hoops there. Will anybody say that? No. Maybe that's the origin of basketball. I don't know. You know, some boys were playing and somebody decided to have, uh, restrict their freedom by putting two hoops there. But then that evolved into a game and enjoyable. See, without restriction, the basketball will end up like dodgeball. you know, you'll be throwing balls everywhere and hitting each other. And that's what's happening in the society today. We are rebelling. How dare God is asking us to throw it into the basket. We should have the freedom to throw it anywhere, anytime, whichever way we want. And the society is rebelling against the commandment. And as a matter of fact, and our country, our world is becoming a dodgeball court instead of a basketball court. Does that make sense? So it is extremely important to know that the commandments are given as a creative force to, for us to, for us to enjoy and experience the presence of God. Quite often we miss that and we misunderstand that. You know, I'm going to show you a, a billboard which was recently in Interstate Highways, and I'm going to edit the. the some of this out because the message of that billboard I found morally reprehensible because it is inviting people who wants abortion from other states to come to, uh, to California which is, which is by the way legally completely alright but you know where I stand we know where we stand we have had a conversation about it but this is not about abortion and this is also not about politics and this so I redacted everything out of it but I'll show you that picture if you can put that up One thing that bothered me was this, I I edited out everything, but there is this Bible verse which is there, you know, which which, uh, which is concerning. Um, It's one thing to say that, you know, there are very famous preachers, very smart, smarter preachers than I have, I am, have already questioned the legitimacy of using the Bible verses to justify something. And I don't want to get into that argument and that makes sense to me, but this is not a pulpit for me to speak about it. But what bothered me though is the grammar of that, 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 that what is written there, grammar. You know, you know, I'm an immigrant and I don't speak English. So grammar is something I'm trying to learn. So the script, the, so that's what the billboard says. This is what it says. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I, where I'm coming from, the British English in India, we learn English, where these means plural, right? Does that make sense? When you, if you say love your neighbor as yourself, there is no commandment greater than this. That makes sense. So I thought it was a very poor grammar, very bad grammar. That's not the how, how you write. And people who are looking at this bill, billboard as they are driving by, they will be surprised to know that the Bible people, you know, whoever wrote the Bible doesn't even know the basic grammar. So I went and checked, was he right? Was the billboard right? And that's when I saw the second part where Jesus really summarizes the whole thing and they redacted the first part out. And as we know, we read today, Jesus started it by saying, The most important one, said Jesus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is the most important one. You have no right to edit it out and put another one in here. For whatever reason, you have the right to freedom to misuse and abuse the Bible. (laughs) The Bible has been misused and abused to justify slavery to everything. So I don't, I, I'm not sure God is particularly keen on it, but people like me whose grammar is already messed up and this is messing it up again, right? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm worried about the language more than the Bible, more than God here. God will take care of his, his problems, right? What I'm saying is this is very manipulative, the way that this is not about politicians. It's about us too. This happens in churches too. We pick somehow the part we just want and present it as the main thing. And if that's the way we want to read the Bible, do you know that Bible says there is no God? Actually, that's one of my atheist friend told me in, in, in in, in, in high school. Bible says there is no God. Psalms 14:1, I believe, and F- Psalms 53:1, it says there is no God. But just right below, says, says the fool in his heart, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so if I'm going to follow this, if I, I if I present this a, a new billboard all on the interstate highway to say that there is no God, Psalms 14:1. Oh, I'll get a lot of views, right? Maybe that's a new communication technology to, you know, like the clickbait or whatever, right? The point is, the point is that we have fallen into the trap and there is this false equivalency we create between these two commandments. No, they are not equal. It very clearly says the most important one, love God. And the second is this. Now, even if for argument's sake, if we say that both are equal, both are equally relevant, and I have no problem agreeing with that because this is the narrative in the progressive and the modern churches, then we say it is all about loving the neighbor, right? It's all about loving our neighbor. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a noble cause. It's a great cause. And I'm, believe me, I'm not against loving our neighbors at all. But somehow we use this as an excuse not to focus on the difficult one about loving God and talking about God. And that's what really bothers me. See, even if we create a false equivalency to say that both commandments are equally important, still the order in which it is given is at least important. And you know that in any given situation, the order in which a commandment is given, like I talked about 10 commandments, the first commandment first. And that order is very, very important. There was this doctor going to meet a patient. And he walked into the room to check on the patient. And he saw the patient, instead of lying down on the bed, he was jumping up and down in his room jumping up and down. So the doctor said, what are you doing? You're supposed to take rest for the next three months. You're not supposed to even get out of the bed. And he said, oh, don't worry, doctor. The medication you gave me in the bottle, it said, shake well before use. (laughs) You know, some medications say shake well before use. I did not read it, so I just drank it And then I realized that I made a mistake, so I'm just shaking it so that, you know. (laughs) I just want to follow the commandment. No, that's not enough. The first thing first, you cannot shake after the use. It has to be before the use. The using, shaking comes first, and using comes second. Does that make sense? The order in which we follow the commandment is of paramount importance. If you don't believe me, here is the smartest guy. C.S. Lewis said, this is what C.S. Lewis said in one of his essays called God on the Dark. You can't get the second things by putting them first. You can only get them by putting the first thing first. I want you to read that. I want you to think about that because smart guys say, say that is very pointed, right? <laughs> you can get the second things by putting them first. You can only get them by putting the first thing first. What he means is, say, for example, what do we want to make money, right? We all want to make money. I want to make money, too. But eventually, we are making money so that we can buy happiness or joy, whichever way you want it. You know, happiness is the most important thing. And we believe money can bring us some sort of happiness, so we make money so that we can get happiness. So happiness is the first in the list, right? Or joy, whichever you want, want to put it, right? And then money comes second. Now, if you want to get money first, You cannot get money by putting that in the first because if you just keep on making money, it will drive your life miserable. You will become miserable and you will never be happy. And of all the people we know in Los Angeles, money doesn't give you happy. But if it is the second in the list, it will be a good thing to have. I want all of you to make money. That's not what we are talking about. But for you to get that second thing, you cannot put that second thing first. You have to still keep the first thing first, which is joy or which is happiness. It is is like when, when you wear makeup, you know. People who wear makeup and they wear makeup so then they can be beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that. Beauty is a gracious thing. It's a beautiful thing. But so beauty has to be the first in the list, and the makeup is the second. But if you keep wearing makeup for the sake of wearing makeup, then you will become disfigured in your imagination in the way you present yourself. But there is nothing wrong with makeup makeup as long as it is the second in the list. The first thing is still beauty. Beauty is commendable. It's, it's a godly trait, right? Does that make sense? That's what C.S. Lewis is saying, that you have to keep the first thing first. And loving God is the first thing. When you love God, you will automatically love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor and you talk about, oh, it's all about loving God, you have bigger problem than Bible can solve. Right? Because if you don't love your neighbor, that's... That's the symptom of a cancer, which means that you are not loving God, irrespective of how many sermons you preach, how many songs you sing. So loving neighbor should be an outcome of loving God. It is a product of loving God. It is the effect. It is not the cause. Because if you truly love God, you will automatically love your neighbor. But if you, if you truly love your neighbor, you won't automatically love God. Because there are Gandhis and Buddhas and there are so many people who proclaim loving neighbor. But they don't, love, they don't necessarily love the God. We understand the way it is. Does that make sense? So the order in which it is given is very important. Making the second thing first is the very, very definition of idolatry, right? Like we are creating idols by making the second thing first. I'm going to close here. I just want you to remember that God has called us to a season where we have to set our priorities right. If our list and the order the order is not right. Irrespective of what we are trying to do, nothing is going to produce the desired outcome in God's master plan for our individual lives and our collective life. And if we try to love our neighbor and intentionally ignoring the commandment to love God, then we are invoking the jealousy of God. Now, if God becomes jealous, that's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. I just want to say one more thing. See, when we talk about good news and the gospel, an alarming tendency in the culture today especially even among theologians and pastors, we always say this. It's all about good news to people, yes, but they mean good news in the sense Is this a good news to them? Are we compassionate enough? Are we loving enough? That's a, that's a noble way to think, but that's not the good news. That's not the gospel because the love of God can also offend people. Well, the last uh, um, uh, fireside chat, somebody asked me a question about wrath of God, about the vengefulness of God. And I said, the wrath of God is not that God is mean. Wrath of God is an expression of his love. And they said, what? What do you mean? I said, for example, if some of my, you know, the, if my neighbor's daughters come home with uh, whatever, say, inappropriately dressed, I wouldn't care much about it because I don't really love them. But if my daughters come, come to my house inappropriately dressed, I will be angry, I'll be upset, and she will see my wrath because I love my daughter, I don't love my neighbor's daughter. See, the theological, from a theological perspective, the opposite of love is not just hate, it is apathy. If you don't like somebody, you can be apathetic about that person. Does that mean, you know, so God loves us so much. And God's love for us is so jealous and he is so passionate about his love for us. That's why when we mess up, he has the wrath. He is not, if he didn't love us, he will be apathetic. Okay, I don't care. Just do whatever you want. No, the wrath of God is the other side of the coin. It is not the opposite of the love of God, but it is the opposite side of the coin of the love of God. The wrath of God is a manifestation of God's love. What I'm saying is that if we invoke the jealousy of God, we will experience the wrath of God. Now, you don't want to be there. So I want you to know that the good news, what we preach, is not just about loving the neighbor. And loving the neighbor should automatically happen when we preach the good news. So the, here is, I'm going to close by reading this. Here is the definition of the good news, okay? Exactly, definition of the good news. Uh, Paul says this, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 onwards. I'm just going to read it. This is the definition. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Oh, that's a million dollar word right there. I want you to underline, bold, mark, whatever you want to do. It says, what I deliver to you as of first, first importance, first importance. <laughs> what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Now that is of first importance. And if we think that we just help people by giving them money, if we just love the neighbors by running soup kitchens and, and all these things which are as noble as it is, If he did not share with them the fact that Jesus died for you and he resurrected for you, he is inviting you to a renewed life. If you haven't shared that, you haven't preached the good news. I'm sorry. This is the definition of the gospel. This is of first importance. This is not an afterthought. Let's say a prayer. Let's say a prayer. I think... I think the Lord is calling us to a repentance. I'm not a big fan of these words, but I think we need to repent. The Western churches in general need to repent for this, and Lake Avenue Church also, and I need to. I have used this as a way to virtue signal, you know, I just want to love our neighbor. I don't, I don't want to get involved in too much of this Christianity, because loving the neighbor is a good thing. Everybody loves you when you love your neighbor, right? If you talk all about loving the neighbor, you can also get into one of those billboards. They will all like you. We want to be liked because we know that unless we edit out the first thing, we will not be liked by the society. Quite often, we edit that out because we want, to be, we want approval from the culture approval from the world but Paul says very clearly I am delivering it to you as of first importance preach the gospel and the gospel which is good news is not just about loving the neighbor it is about God sending his only begotten son he died and he resurrected and called us into eternal communion with him and that is the gospel. Let us pray. Father God, none of us have a pass from the way the voice of God has set the commandments. It is crystal clear that we need to put the first thing first. Lord, we ask forgiveness that if we created idols in our mind, in our compassion for others, or maybe in our secret desire to be liked by others, if we just neglected that first commandment, the most important one according to you, Jesus, and the order of first importance by Paul, Lord, we repent today. That we will come back to the heart of the gospel. The eternal destiny you have created for every single human being. Those who lives in the street and those who live in San Marino. It doesn't matter. Lord, we are homeless until we find home in you. Lord, we pray that you will take us to the foot of the cross. And the ultimate good news that you have given to us from the realm of cosmos for the eternal truth and help us proclaim that boldly, but more importantly, help us embrace that willingly and joyfully.